listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And in its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Hey, good morning, Mosaic. How you doing? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. So glad that you are here, that you've joined us today. Uh, it's, a, it's a good day. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? I love that. You know, we are... Um, uh, we're in a series kind of called Jesus in the Psalms. We're, we're kind of taking a little break from that specific aspect on it. But today I decided, you know, we're going to stay in the Psalms because uh, it speaks to what we're going to be talking about today. Um, uh, to all the dads, before I get involved in this, um, you should have, hopefully, and if not, do it after this service, uh, get a ticket. Uh, because there's a drawing. But after this, between the services, we have a mechanical bull out there uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Just to ride, have a good time on it. All are welcome on that. Uh, we're going to have some breakfast burritos for you as well um, from Maria's breakfast burritos. Anyways, good place. Anyways, uh, and we have a drawing, uh, some cool prizes. And so you need that ticket. So if you didn't get it on your way in, get it. You'll get a half a ticket, half in the bowl, and half, and keep the other half. All right. Must be present to win. It's going to happen between the services. So stick around just a little bit. Um, man, what an amazing song of praise we just heard in Psalm 103. This psalm has been sung as a hymn in all kinds of churches for centuries. It was written by King David. Um, now, there's sometimes a misconception that David, King David of Israel, wrote all the psalms, and really, he didn't. You know, In fact, um, Charles Spurgeon, he's a... Um, you know, he's, he lived a long time ago, but he's a great preacher and great theologian, but he's known as the Prince of Preachers, and he wrote a commentary on the Psalms called The Treasury of David. It kind of leads people to believe that he wrote all of them, but David actually only wrote about, thank you, sir. Can you give it up for this handsome hunk of man right here? <laughs> 
I texted him and said, somebody bring me some water. My throat's funky today, so thank you. But, um, but David actually only wrote about half of them. There's, I think, man, about 10 or 12 known authors of the Psalms. But David actually did write, write most, uh, more than anyone else. And this is a favorite. Um, you know, we, we know the background of a lot of Psalms, uh, what sparked the author to write it down. Scott Pollock last week uh, did a great job, and he hit on this as well. Um, that like there's Psalm 51, says, create in me a clean heart uh, and renew a right spirit within me. That's David's psalm. That's David's prayer after uh, he had his incident of adultery with Bathsheba and his repentance. Uh, psalm 59, uh, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. We know that that was when he was fleeing from Saul, the paranoid king who was trying to kill him. And so we know that those backgrounds, but nobody's figured out the background of Psalm 103. It just seems that for some reason, David was overcome with expressions of praise. And today, especially being Father's Day, I want to drill down on one verse, and that is Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. On those who fear him. There's a word in there that we might need to get past before we continue. You know, if you've been following Jesus for a while, this may not be a thing for you. You may, have, you may be clear on this, but it can especially cause some hard feelings to rise up if that was the experience with your dad. We might get hung up on the word fear. Not everyone's had a good father situation. And putting the words father and fear in the same sentence may seem about right to some people. So when we talk about the fear of God, though, we're talking about a different kind of fear. Uh, since we're in the Psalms, let's take, a, let's, let's take a look at what it means to the psalmist. And so Psalm 33, Psalms talk about the fear of the Lord a lot. So like, for instance, Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let the people of the world revere him. He qualifies that with let the people of the world revere him, to revere, to stand in awe, to fear God is to stand in awe of who he is. Psalm 40, verse 3, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. This qualification of putting their trust in him. To fear God is to wholeheartedly trust him is the image there. Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. And the Hebrew word for confides literally means intimate fellowship, right? And so uh, when you put the word fear alongside words like trust, intimate fellowship, you know, and that stuff, and revering. Uh, a different picture starts to come into view, hopefully. When the ancient psalmist wrote about fearing God, they meant acknowledging who he is, this big, great God. We're talking about reverence and awe of who God is. Now, that's, that's more of a comparison that I can relate to. When I was little, um, my dad referred to me as his little buddy. All right, uh, I was Buddy. Uh, he, that wasn't my name. That wasn't like a nickname or anything. That's just what Dad called me, Little Buddy. Uh, he was a he, he. He took me everywhere. When when he went somewhere, come on, Buddy, come on, Little Buddy, that kind of stuff, you know. And so he and I would just wherever he was going. That's where. Sometimes it took me. He was a career army guy. Sometimes that took me onto base, you know. And I would just watch him do his thing on base there. He. Um, he had an office there and stuff like that. I got, him to, I got to watch him boss around a platoon and stuff like that, you know. And some of those people feared my dad, as in they were afraid of my dad. But that's not how I felt about him at all. Um, 
Sorry, I looked up to him. I thought he was the strongest and toughest guy in the room. And many times, most of, he, he was, right? He was a special forces guy. And I thought it was really cool that he jumped out of airplanes, you know, and stuff. And, and uh, even when his unit, they, they would get called up to go on some secret mission around the world that he couldn't talk about. He would just come home and say, well, I got to go. And we knew, mom, mom knew. Don't even ask where you're going, how long, when are you going to be back, that kind of stuff, because he didn't even know, right? And so uh, he would just be like, I got to go. And, you know, it was something that honestly we kind of got used to, you know, that was the environment that we lived in. Everybody dealt with that, you know. But uh, I didn't want him to go, but I went to sleep at night, just imagine him fighting bad guys, you know. Never a thought that he could get hurt or that he couldn't come, he, he wouldn't come home. You know, and somehow he always made his way home because he was the biggest, toughest guy in the room, right? That was my dad. And so uh, I had a big view of my dad. And in Psalm 103, we're talking about having a big view of God. Psalms 103 talks about an incomparable, incomparable, however you want to say that word, a God that is not able to be compared. The funny thing is, in this psalm, it then throws in a few comparisons. So, such as, if you could measure how high the heavens are above the earth, then you could fathom the extent of his love. If you could comprehend where the east begins and where the west ends and all of that kind of stuff, then you could know the fullness of his forgiveness. If you could feel that kind of compassion that a father has on his children, then you can understand his compassion toward us. And to me, I don't know, that seems a little strange. I mean, because there's, there's the first two comparisons. I mean, how could we determine the distance between the earth and the heavenlies? You know, how, how do you, you know, from the, 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 the concrete to the abstract and all that kind of stuff, how could we begin to imagine the distance between the east and the west? Those things are impossible. But then there's another illustration that David used that's not like those at all. He gives us something we can understand and relate to, or at least... Imagine, Psalm 103.13, once again, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Not only, not only is it a beautiful piece of prose, but it's a, it's a beautiful description of who God is to us. He is a, a father to us. Now, that's something we can grasp. And whether or not we've experienced a compassionate father, we can at least conceptualize, I think, what that means. Verse 4 of this psalm says he crowns us with love and compassion. Compassion. There's that word again. That's what we're going to talk about today. He crowns us with love and compassion. Literally, the word uh, crowns is surrounds. He surrounds us with love and compassion. Think about that for a moment, if you can. Just right now, where you're sitting, you are surrounded by the love and compassion of God. You can't see it and touch it in tangible ways. You know, it's not like some impenetrable force field or anything. I mean, life can get through sometimes and really mess things up, right? You just got through something. Maybe you're going through something right now. Something might just be around the corner. But in the midst of all of that, you're surrounded by the love and compassion of your heavenly Father. And the Bible has several of these analogies. Um, Psalm 91, he'll cover you with his feathers and under your wings you'll find refuge. Psalm 27, in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. 
So no, we can't physically see it, but I wonder how evident it would be if we were, I don't know, intangibly looking for it in the midst of life, in the midst of troubles. You know, we, we rightly speak of love being God's greatest quality. Absolutely correct. I, I, but I think it's practically inseparable from his compassion. You know, there's, there's love and compassion. If, if love is his greatest attribute, compassion must be his close second, must be the close second. According to the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, uh, compassion is, and I just thought this was a great definition, a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. So this, this sympathetic consciousness that you might be, that, 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 that someone that you know might be going through distress. And then there's this desire to alleviate that, that, that distress. That is what compassion is. It's not the same as pity or feeling sorry for someone. It's, I think it's something more than just a feeling. I mean, we, we've seen tragic stories on the news. I, I, I hear of children being taken too early or, 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 or um, <coughs> uh, just the, the train derailment in India, these kinds of things. Like, and all this stuff where tragedy happens and I, and I can't imagine the pain that some families go through, you know? And it's like, I, I hear about some things and it's like, oh, I, I, can't even, I can't even stand to hear that kind of stuff. It's, and it's just so hurtful. I feel so bad for them. I often have a desire to help them but my, a lot of times, even if I have the desire to help, I may not have that point of connection to be actually able to help, to do anything about it. And that's really the, the difference between God and us. Our, our Father surrounding us with love and compassion. He's a Father of compassion. While our ability to act on our compassionate thoughts may be limited, God certainly is not. They are not. Not only does God have the desire to alleviate our distress, but he has the ability. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent his son. Our sin is what caused that separation that from, between us and God. That was our distress. Jesus, the son, alleviated that distress. God so loved the world that he did something about it. I think there's a good amount of compassion involved. Saw the distress, desired to do something about it, so he did. He sent his son Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus alleviated that distress through his work on the cross and his resurrection. That's the compassion of our heavenly father at work right there. Now, being a father, got four kids, my ability to act on my compassion, I feel for my children, uh, is definitely limited, right? Uh, but, but honestly, there's, there's a lot that I can do for my kids, especially when they're younger. The younger they are, the more I can do for them. But there are, there are limits, like those times when, when they're sick, or you can relate to this. I know if you're a parent, mom or dad, when they're sick or they're hurt, and honestly, everything within you really wants to trade places with them, and, but, you just, but you're standing there and you're just watching and you feel helpless. You're doing everything you can do to try to alleviate some stuff, but you're just helpless, right? And with all your heart, you want to help, but you just, there's a limit there. As a father has compassion on his children in a limited way, God has compassion on us in an unlimited way. Exodus uh, 34, 6 
is a phrase that was picked up and commonly repeated in Hebrew culture. It's going to sound a little familiar if you've been listening. So Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's been paraphrased by many. And three, three times in the psalm, including the psalm, in the psalms, including the psalm that we're uh, in verse 8 of our text today. Nehemiah, the guy who went and, re- and brought people to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, he said it. The prophet Joel, he's kind of a doomsday prophet, but yet he said it as well. Jonah, <coughs> excuse me, Jonah said it as a complaint uh, to God. You remember, if you know the story of Jonah and the whale, that Jonah, okay? Uh, he was sent to a people to just proclaim the word of God to them because they, they were bad, right? And he was going to proclaim that unless you repent, then, then you're going to be destroyed. And he didn't want to go. And his reasoning was, because I know that you're a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And if I start talking to them, that compassion is going to kick in. And I don't like these people. And I don't want that to happen. That was his complaint. And so it was a common thing repeated uh, about God. Even in the Old Testament where we tend to think of God as harsh. Live according to the law or be destroyed, right? But that's really, that's not how the Hebrew people thought of him at all. Above all, God was compassionate and gracious. This, this is our God. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Above all, that is who he is. He surrounds us with love and compassion. Think about it. Think about this for a moment, okay? Compassion. Compassion means that there will be difficulty of some kind. There will be distress. Without the distress of others... You can't feel compassion. You feel it? Think about it. It's like patience, okay? Uh, in order to have patience, you first must have something to be patient through, correct? And, and so we pray for patience, and then we're like, but I don't really want to pray for patience because then something's going to happen. I'm going to have to learn patience. We learn patience by going through something that, that demands patience, right? Compassion happens when someone else is going through distress. It cannot exist without someone else having a hard time. Otherwise, like I said, there would be nothing to be compassionate about. If God is, and we ask the questions, if God is a loving God, why am I going through this? Why am I going through distress? Well, we kind of pick out one aspect of an infinite God and say, I like that one, you know? He's a loving God. And if he's a loving God, then why am I going through this distress? Yes, he is a loving God and compassionate Father. Over and over again, we read about the compassion of God, which definitely implies that, uh, definitely states that there's going to be distress on our parts. <coughs> Excuse me. In his love, could he keep me from all those negative things? Excuse me. In his love, could he keep me from all of those negative things? I don't know. I guess so. But is that what a loving parent does for their children? If you're a parent today, is that what you do for your children? What kind of adult would that kid turn out to be if we kept them from everything? Parents know that exposure to hardship makes our kids learn. Exposure to challenges, 
you know? Uh, you've heard the butterfly illustration. It needs the distress of, of getting through the cocoon in, in order to be able to get the blood to its wings and do it. If you help it out, it'll, it'll die. At least that's what I've heard preached a lot. So preachers love that illustration. So I've heard it preached a lot. So, but whether it's a hard math problem or a relationship problem with friends, or, you know, middle school drama, that kind of stuff, you know, or maybe the, a, a, just a tough challenge of some kind, swooping in and rescuing them from all of those things, I think we learn over time that that really doesn't help them. But we want to so badly, right? We really do. That's the compassionate piece. And that's not to say that we're not gracious and faithful to our children when they really do need help right? And that's exactly how God fathers us. It's exactly how he fathers us. Maybe that's why it says that as a, as a father has compassion on his children. He could have said as a father loves his children, so the Lord loves us, and that would not be wrong. You know, well, maybe, because how could we even begin to love the way God loves, you know? We try. But a father gets the significance of compassion, he knows, God knows how we're formed. He knows that, that we are dust. He knows our humanity and all that comes with that. And as a result, he knows that we're going to have trouble in this world, as Jesus clearly said. It's wonderful to know that our Father has compassion on us in the midst of all of that. But is that all there is to it? We get some tremendous benefit, right? I mean, we absolutely do, but I think there's another purpose to this. God, out of his love and compassion, he recognized our distress. And because he is infinitely able, he sent his son into the world to reconcile us to himself. Jesus, the, <coughs> excuse me, the exact, uh, Hebrews says that he is the exact representation of the father. He displayed this compassionate trait as well. Let's, let's read that Hebrews passage. Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And we see him time and again expressing compassion. Jesus said this about himself, John 14 verse 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There's that exact representation. And then, so we see this in Matthew chapter 9. Let's get there. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is in the context, mind you, of a compassionate Jesus who sees the crowds, sees their distress, meets their needs. He heals them, he teaches them, and all of this stuff. And on at least two instances that we know of, he, they phys he physically fed them because he has compassion on people because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In that context, he turns to his, the disciples, the 12, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
You see this, my heart breaks for them. It's like Jesus said, my heart's breaking for them. You know, when he approached Jerusalem for the last time, he just wept over it out of compassion and knowing what their situation is, knowing that they were the ones that were far from God and knowing what it was going to take to reconcile them to the Father, his, his compassion, and he wept over them. Jesus, like the Father, saw people in their distress, had a desire to, to alleviate it, and that's what drove him to help people. The love and compassion of the Father started it all by sending his Son, and Jesus continued that work, and now he passes that baton to us. Pray that the Lord of the harvest and workers into the harvest field and that's where we come in. His response was, 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 was workers in his fields. And that would be believers, other believers like you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. So we get a great benefit. So that... We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Isn't that great? He never wastes a hurt in our lives. We receive compassion. We are the recipients of this compassionate Father when we go through troubles because He knows we will, and the compassion of God is there. He surrounds us with love and compassion. He comforts us in all our troubles. He gets us through. And even, even if we feel like we're not through it, we know He's with us. And, there is, and, and what we do with that is turn around and realize there's other people going through the same distress that I'm going through. And now I, I, I'm able to help them. I'm able to help. As wounded healers, we're able to help them. I think there's a dual purpose to our struggles. It teaches us greater dependence on and trust in God. And it gives us what we need to help others. Honestly, I, I, I really do think that's the expectation. He's a compassionate father, but not just to us, but to everyone. As his children, he calls us to be compassionate toward other people. What does that, so what does that look like then? Compassion toward others. If compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, uh, together with a desire to alleviate it, who around me is in distress? How are they in distress? How can I help? What do I have to help them? You know the social media quotes, you've probably seen this. <coughs> you might have reposted this sometimes. Be nice to everyone around you because you just don't know the pain they may be carrying. You know that's true. It's absolutely true. The opposite, you see, of compassion is selfishness. Compassion and selfishness, stick with me, okay? Compassion and selfishness, they're exactly the same. They're the same thing, except compassion is directed toward others. Selfishness is directed toward me. Same feelings. Compassion directs it toward others. Selfishness directs it toward me. Um, small example. Has anyone ever had bad service at a restaurant? Come on, come on. Yes, you have. Bad, bad service at a restaurant. Certainly have. Uh, you might go out this afternoon and have bad service at a restaurant. Maybe your server isn't coming around at all. Maybe they're not in the best of moods. Maybe you got the wrong stuff. The, who knows what it is? Maybe they're not very attentive. 
Um, so this is where, and I hope you don't mind, this is where Vicki, uh, my wife, really shines. Uh, because, because she genuinely carries around, sorry, I know, I know this is embarrassing to you, because she carries around these kinds of compassionate thoughts with her. She really does. So at some point, there's this, it's bad service, there's whatever is happening, you know, we're waiting forever, that kind of stuff. What does she do? How's your day going? How's your day going so far? And then I've seen it so many times. <sighs> Shoulders drop, head drop. <sighs> it's been rough. It's been rough. This happened, that happened, short day. You know, maybe it's a personal issue. Maybe they're so short-staffed. Things that we didn't know, right? That they reveal. I've seen it happen so many times. And then it's like, ah, oh, I'm really sorry. I hope it gets better. Just a little light right there. A little compassion right there. And I've come to know what that means. What it means is we're going to tip them very well. <laughs> More than you think the service deserves. Because my satisfaction is not the goal. Alleviating the distress of others is. Compassion. We get so selfish sometimes, right? Compassion and selfish are so closely related. They're exact same feelings. Compassion is toward others, selfish is toward me. My satisfaction isn't the goal. The, 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 the alleviating the distress of others is the goal. That's a silly illustration, isn't it? I mean, is that the kind of thing the Bible's talking about? It might be a small example, but that's exactly the kind of thing the Bible's talking about. It's a mindset that we carry around with us when we see other people keeping our head up, eyes looking around, focusing on the needs of others, looking for opportunities to help alleviate their distress. It may show up in small ways. It may show up in big ways. It shows up with, with, with everybody. God so loved the world, right? This loving, compassionate God. And the world at the time was far away from him, didn't needed a savior, all right? Needed, desperately needed a Savior. There's people around us that desperately need a Savior. They don't think like us. They, they're not like us. They have different opinions about us, different lifestyle choices, that kind of stuff that we may not even agree with, but that doesn't matter. Because in selfishness, I can say, since they're not like me, or in compassion, I can say, how can I help you? You know? It doesn't matter. Jesus helped Jesus had compassion on prostitutes. He had compassion on the evil tax collectors. He had compassion on Roman centurions. He had compassion on, on, on sinners. He was the friend of sinners, wasn't he? People not like him, but people he could relate to, people he came for, right? He had, he's a friend of sinners. That's who he had compassion on. The people that he didn't have much compassion for were the proud religious that's who he didn't have much compassion for. Everybody else, ah, just the love, right? The compassion here. And Jesus did it for us in the biggest way. Let that compassion, that desire to alleviate the distress people are going through, let that drive us also. And when we, we do that, we are never more like Jesus. Never more like Jesus. We say, well, what can I do? You know, I want to help, but what can I do? I'm not God, but there are people all around us. We don't often have the ability to help them, but a lot of times we do. We just have to do it. Head up, on a swivel, looking around. People are in distress. 
James chapter 2, verse 14 and following says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, out of a compassionate feeling, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 32, says, Jesus is talking here. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Then he says, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. What drives that kind of behavior? The opposite of selfishness. Compassion. Then your reward will be great. You still get a benefit. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. That father analogy again. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. They don't deserve it. They're ungrateful and wicked. And so we excuse ourselves because they're ungrateful. But, but God doesn't excuse himself. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. Amen? This is the life that Jesus calls us to. A life that, like he lived. A life that models and reflects who the Father is. His greatest, what I believe is the greatest two attributes that you just can't separate it, the love and compassion that surrounds you at this very moment that he wants us to emulate in this world. Father, I thank you so much for that love, for that compassion. I am a recipient. I don't think I deserve it, but I guess, I guess you, don't, you didn't... Um, you didn't ask about that. <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't put me through some litmus test of deserving. You just loved me and have, had compassion on me. And I'm very grateful. And we here who fear you in the biblical sense and who follow you, Lord, we're, we're, we are the recipients of that love and compassion as well. Those outside what we would say outside of the family of God, those, those who are not following Jesus, those who might think that we are far away from faith, objects of love and compassion of you. May they be objects of our love and compassion as well as we follow you, Jesus. Maybe today you might say, um, Paul, I, I can't, if, we were to, if you were to ask me, are, am I a believer? Am I following Jesus? You'd say, well, I, I don't think so. But something about today, you say, that's, that's what I need. That's what I want. Then I just invite you right now to just say, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I do believe in you. I thank you for that love and compassion that you give to me. And it forgives us of all of our sins. Everything that separates us from God, he takes out of the way. I receive that right now. And I want to follow you, Jesus. So help me, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.